Welcome to episode 88 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down with Katie Zhu. She works on product and engineering at Medium. We hope you enjoy listening. If you want more podcasts to lighten up your day and really improve your commute, because we all know you need that, you can check out all the other shows on spec. We've got five currently and we've got more coming. We've got shows like Immutable, which is like question and answer ones. So you can get practical advice. We've got Vicarious, which is what three designers do to get away from work. We've got does not compute which is two front-end developers talking to each other about the issues they have and then we've got developer t which is kind of a bit of developer oriented inspiration and kind of guidance in, in a very short format um so we've got tons of stuff for every kind of person you can also join our slack team at spec.fm slash slack before we get in this episode huge thanks to our two sponsors that made this episode possible first up icon finder icon finder is the world's largest source of high-quality icons on the web. They have over 700,000 icons. They have 2.3 million active users per month, and they get 20,000 icon downloads per day. If you're an icon designer, you should probably start submitting so you can get in on some of that. Uh, there are icon designers who are making four to 5,000 a month through selling their icons on Icon Finder, and some of them are even our friends. But now, on top of that, you can order customized icons tailor-made by some of the most skillful icon designers in the world, like incredibly talented people. Uh, stock icons are sometimes not enough to build a, like a strong visual brand identity. So now you can order unique tailor-made icons almost as easily as buying a stock icon. So you can even own the copyright. So it can be for your brand specifically, your company, whatever. But ordering icons through Icon Finder ensures that the collaborative process between you and the designer follows professional standards, is more transparent, ensures that clients feel more secure about working with these designers directly. Their custom design process is divided in four major steps. So first, you, the client, upload a design brief stating the topic, specifications, number, other requirements for, for these icons. Second, designers who are interested in the project submit their offers over the next 24 hours. So if you're an icon designer, you could, you could also submit offers for uh, projects, try and get these jobs. Third, the clients select the preferred designer who will work on the project based on the offer and examples of previous work. So it's not spec work or anything like that. It's a legit like proposal. And then finally, the designer delivers the work on or before the agreed upon deadline. Anyone can order these at iconfinder.com slash custom hyphen icon hyphen design. And as always, you can save 50% off your first month of Icon Finder Pro, their unlimited download service, by using the code Design Details at checkout. Thank you once again to Icon Finder. A second sponsor, as always, Dropbox. Dropbox is the simplest way to work the way you want. They handle all of your syncing, all of your sharing, all of the backend stuff. It's kind of a pain so that you can just focus on whatever you're working on. So whether you're sketching, coding, prototyping, whatever, Dropbox is with you throughout the entire design process. It works with any kind of file, so you're free to choose the tools you want for every single project. And when you're ready for feedback, you can send large files to anyone fast. You just send them a link, they can see a preview right in line, and they can actually comment right there too. Uh, their commenting feature gives people a central place to post their thoughts. That way, conversations can happen right alongside the work itself. Dropbox gives you the freedom to work on anything from anywhere with anyone you choose and just gets rid of the rest. You can check them out and get started at dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox. And with that, let's get into episode 88 with Katie Zhu. Uh, my name is Katie Zhu. Uh, I'm a product manager and an engineer at Medium. Uh, and I spend a lot of time wishing I could be Beyonce. Mm, yeah. Don't we all? Lifelong, lifelong mm -hmm. struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah personal squad goals <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favorite intro ever yeah <laughs> i mean it's something that's always on my mind so always like, yeah. always on your mind yeah have you blogged about it 
I, you know, I've been a little, I haven't, I've shied away from the topic of Beyonce because mm. it's just so, there's a lot of, a lot of baggage and a lot of weight that comes with it. It's personal. But, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very personal. I haven't written any sort of larger manifesto. That's in, that's in the making. Oh um, my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the manifesto. Can, yeah. Manifesto about Beyonce. Um, tweeted copiously about, about Beyonce. Haven't gotten my Google alert for Beyonce yet today, but I'll see what's up in her life a little bit. So. <laughs> I see a lot of stay on top of these things. You I know? see a lot of crown and bee emojis coming yes, from you. That's true. That's true. Yes. Mm. All right. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> you work at Medium. I do work at Medium. And the first time I actually saw you, I'd known your name for a while. I'd seen, I'd followed you on Twitter, uh -huh. and the first time I actually saw you in person was on stage presenting Medium 2.0. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you, you want to talk about like sure. what that? kind of entailed i was actually at epic Currents with dustin sinos oh, and cool. just jeff Tehan. yeah and, like, and did you meet dog. brad brad simpson brad i think simpson was there yes too? Okay, you, cool. he actually bunked with us yeah oh, yeah, nice. yeah wow bumped? I, I was sitting oh bunked, bunked with bunked. us yeah i was okay. i was sitting like, next bumped. to jeff and dustin at the time whenever everything came out oh so. nice nice that's awesome um yeah so just talk about like the process of what that was or? sure um uh, like you you were on stage oh yes like, i was i was on stage um so around let's see july or so um we at Medium had kind of felt like we've been making a lot of incremental advances and like shipping out smaller things to the product and making it better, but we hadn't really done sort of a big launch that the entire company could get behind. And a lot of our efforts were, um, or the things that we celebrated were more, you know, feature developments and things like that. And we have a whole awesome group of, you know, content. Our content team is great and editorial, and we kind of wanted uh, an event to bring everyone in the company together. Um, so we were like, October, end of like Q3 will be a good time. Um, and then after we like picked a date, we were like, okay, well, what should we build? And so we kind of came up with things along the way that kind of coalesced into this idea of Medium 2.0 and really driving home the idea that Medium is like a network of stories and ideas and um, helping to move thinking forward and that we've built tools and um, a way to connect with people around, around that. And so different teams came together to sort of fit that like top banner line um and we had you know that launch event that you were at uh and the preamble i, I just saw it oh like, just, oh right you were online. at your yeah, yeah. you were at your design conference um you were in hawaii like surfing i was there. yeah that's awesome sounds cooler than not surfing being on stage. Not, oh not surfing not surfing <laughs> i was actually writing on medium so oh nice nice um uh, was that the mentorship post? It was. Oh, nice, nice. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, no, she she, just, she had my favorite uh, <laughs> quotation. Is the best. Huh? It's like being a mentor requires two things: one, they have to be human, and two, they have, you have to trust them. Yeah, and yeah. you're like one, be human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite quote. <laughs> just distilled that down. Yep. Um, yeah, so we had this event on October 7th, and uh, the preamble to that, we invited some press and some friends of the company to kind of hear a bit about what we've been up to. So we had this like very elaborate presentation with three screens. Preparing the deck for this talk was like un like so intense, like unlike anything I'd ever had it to do before. It looked so fancy. It was very fancy, very, very fancy. Um, the team did a great job putting, putting all of that together. And yeah, so we had these three screens, one landscape, and then two kind of portrait off to the side. Is that um, one, one for each piece of the M? They did all come together. No, I don't think we actually did that. I'll make a note for that for next time. Um, good feedback. Good feedback. Uh, but yeah, so we had different um, sort of 
areas from the company represented. And we talked about our discovery stuff. We just launched Explore that day, kind of gave Medium the whole new cone of paint, the logo and typefaces and things like that. Um, and then the team that I led was um, a publishing team. And so we focused on building tools for professional publishers and content creators. And the two things that we launched that day were our publishing API and we opened up custom domains to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so that was what I was on stage uh, yabbling about. When you say you were leading the team, yes. uh, you're described everywhere as both product manager and engineer yes. at Medium. Yes. So uh, what was that work like? So that work was probably more product than engineering. Um, we kind of scoped out what the what we'd be building and um, worked with the team to kind of define goals. And a lot of the launch around what we did wasn't just the fact that we launched something. We really tried to bolster it with um, partnerships and things like that. So it's a lot of outreach with some desktop writing apps. And we reached out to IFT and built an integration with them and kind of wanted to launch everything with kind of a a big splash. And so a lot of it was just kind of coordination and overhead and keeping the trains moving. And yeah, so the team was only... It was two and a half engineers. I'm the half. I did like the small bit of front end that was required for some of the like OAuth login flow stuff. Nothing super exciting. Um, but the two other engineers, Jamie and Kyle, just like killed it on the back end and like wrote that whole thing in like two, no, three weeks maybe. It was it was really awesome. Um, and so I didn't do any of the um, back end work for that, but worked on some of the the front end smaller things and helped getting it over the finish line. It's a pretty rare combination right like you hear uh more of designer engineer or engineer designer product manager more product engineer designer. right i hear a lot about product or, and design com- kind yeah. of merging mm-hmm. yeah and so for product and engineering to merge that's really interesting i'm curious how you ended up on sort of splitting those two tracks sure sure um yeah it's a good a good question so i found my way into engineering through journalism so i studied journalism and computer science in uh college and it was really exciting to me to think about how like computer science and programming could help unlock different kinds of storytelling and build new kinds of things. And um, also just building stuff like felt really cool and good. And so I kind of pursued that um, pretty heavily. And then when it came time to apply for jobs, um, I sort of got into the technical stuff a little bit later and felt that I wanted to bolster sort of my technical experience. And so I was looking at um, more software software positions. And so I joined Medium as, as an engineer and got to work on a variety of things. Um, and when I tell people, I was like, I study journalism and computer science. I work at Medium. They're like, oh, it's like match made in heaven. It's perfect. Uh, and I was like, yeah, it's great. And kind of just like nodded along and like gave good athlete talk. But I was like, I'm not really doing anything with this journalism degree, even though we have, we had like a, we have a very awesome content arm and editorial and sort of thinking about like, that kind of product that we were building for them. And those tools became something that I was really interested in. And so when I got to my one year anniversary at Medium, which is always a good time to take a step back and be like, what am I doing with my life? Um, I was like, I really want to be more involved with our publishing efforts and helping um, like build tools for them or like think about this area of the product. Uh, The tools for publishers on Medium hadn't really been touched in like a year, year or so. Um, So it was kind of a sad state of affairs. And then I was just kind of talked to some people and convinced people to let me do it and um, kind of just pursued the dual dual track from then. And I think right now I'm focusing more on um, like what we're building rather than how, but I think having the skill set to still be able to like execute or go build things or test out ideas and assumptions and not have to wrangle everyone to like all the time is, is really awesome and helpful. And so try to try to keep that balance. Do you see yourself splitting the two roles or like, just going full PM with a 
I guess, technical background. Yeah. Should, pre- should project managers code? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think if anyone who wants to write code and they can, they should, they should write code. Um, I don't know. I think I've thought a lot about it. I think right now, one of the things we have at Medium, we... Uh, so we use Holacracy, mm-hmm. um, which anyone who's heard about me probably has also heard of. But there's this cool idea of strategies in Holacracy, which is kind of this phrase where you take important thing even over other important thing. And so for the company, one of our strategies is individual action even over consensus. And so that kind of embodies the attitude that we want um, people to to have. Um, Could you so what explain does that, that a little bit more? Sure, sure. So uh, the idea is that um, it helps guide decision making and set like an overall kind of strategy or like guiding principle for um it can be for anything like for the company or for a given circle or for a given role um at work so for the design circle for example i think one of their strategies was mobile even over cross-platform experiences because we really wanted to double down on mobile and like focus on that so it's just kind of a way of saying these two things are like both important but we're going to focus on the first one right now and not saying that the second one isn't important but we're just going to call that out explicitly as like we're making a decision to like think about the first thing first and so for myself right now i feel like it's product even over engineering and that doesn't necessarily mean that i don't i'm like oh deuces like coding or whatever but um that right now is coding (laughs) yeah deuce is coding um but right now um sort of focusing on the skills of uh product thinking and more of like the high level vision strategy stuff and um doubling down on that can you back up a little bit for people that don't know what holacracy is yes will you just explain it because circles is a very holacracy (laughs) yeah only term term circles might not even make sense but i i want to first like hear what it is and then Sure. Maybe dig into like what you think of Brian, it. Brian, have it, you worked in a holacracy based <laughs> I like, have, company? And I want to see how it's going. So Oh interesting. First could you maybe sure, sure. what it is? Um so my understanding of holacracy is that it's an organizational structure that um essentially provides kind of like a template or blueprint of a new way to organize your company. And I think one common misconception is that oh, holacracy is like all chaos. There's like no managers, which is definitely not the case. It's still a hierarchical system. Like there is a a strict hierarchy. There's like a lead link. There's um, a general company circle from which everything else kind of um, reports up to. It sounds Um, like a cult. It has been been made uh, comparisons to that, yes. Um, I mean, one of the things for me that I found really valuable from it is that everyone kind of has the agency to make their own role and like help impact and affect the organization in very tangible ways. So um, there's one process that's called governance. Yes, uh, governance. And so the idea is that anyone can bring like a proposal and say, hey, I think we really need to focus on internationalization. Like no one's really paying attention to this part of the product. Uh, It's a really important problem for us to be thinking about. Let's create a role um, that, you know, own sort of this idea and will help maintain a backlog of stuff or kind of just like hold product ownership of this role. Um, so anyone has the power to do that. And that was actually kind of how I got my start in product. I was like, publications, I really like publications. I studied journalism. Please let me like think about this area of the product. We were like, uh, okay, sure. And then that evolved into um, a circle, which is uh, a group of, it represents kind of like a unit of work to be done. So kind of like a team or an area or whatever. Um, and that, sort of grew out from there how do circles interact with one another and then how does that feed up into this like main general sure. or general whatever you, uh, what, general what company it? general circle? company circle mm-hmm. uh so the circles interact with each other on i guess kind of a depends on the circles so um 
we have initiative teams that are cross-functional that have product uh, design and engineering and we have a separate engineering functional circle we have a separate design functional circle um, so the way that those interact is kind of like oh well we want to work on say like mobile editing we need a designer to help us think about this we need engineering and it works like a traditional company in that sense it's not like oh I need to I don't know. I mean, you could go talk to like the head of design if you need design resources or something like that. Um, and then the idea of every, I think every company starts with like one circle, which is called general company circle. And so that's kind of like the top tier leadership, I guess. And then from there, they decide sort of what circles need to be created to represent like what units of work. And so eventually like the head of design lives in a circle called product development, uh, and then the head of product development then reports up to the head of the company. So it's kind of like the hierarchy waterfall in that sense, but it's just circles instead of like circles all the way things. down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think like anything, Holacracy has good and bad things about it. I This is my first job out of school, so I don't have anything to compare it to in that sense. I mean, I've interned at other companies, um, but interning at a strictly traditional bureaucratic company is like very different experience. Um at the times, for example, like I was an intern on the interactive team and we, I was working on this project for fashion week and, um, we had this like app of, uh, photos from Paris fashion week and we wanted to change the production URL to point to the new app, uh, which was HTML and JavaScript. And we finally entered like this decade, the old one was flash and terrible, but they were like, let's have the intern, um, you know, redo that for us. And so my editor was like, you need to file a request in Jira to change this production URL. I was like, okay, followed his instructions. He was like, great. And then this IT guy who like manages the Jira product or whatever, like came down to my cubicle and just started like yelling, like, why are you making production request changes? Like interns do not have the permission to do this, blah, blah, blah. And my editor was like right there. And he was like, whoa, like calm down. I told her to do this. Um, and my team was uh, an embedded team within the rest of the newsroom. And it was kind of like this upstart group of like developers and designers working on news applications, kind of much less bureaucratic than the rest of the company. Um, so I hadn't really seen too much of this in my time there. And my editor was just like, like chill out, whatever, <laughs> like I'll take care of it. And um, he was like, I'm signing off on this. And the Jira guy was like, nope, nope, you need to like reopen it. Like we can't, we can't approve this request. And so my editor, Ben literally just like copy and pasted my shit into like another Jira ticket and then reopened it. And I was like, wow. Um, so there are good things and bad things Rough. about like any type Jeez. of, of yeah. organization I feel like. And I think the cool thing about Holacracy is that it lets you, um, it gives you like these terms and like things to work with, but you can still build around it and make things that work for your company or for your team. Bootstrap for businesses. <laughs> That's our tagline. Yeah. It's basically that though, right? It's a framework yeah. that companies adopt and tweak however they want. Totally. Yeah. And you can like build on top of it, extend it or like yeah. whatever. It's all on ES6 now. <laughs> Plugins. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, all, it's all cross-browser compatible. How do how does the company onboard new people into something like Holacracy? I, I imagine that's like, it's a big shift for anyone that's come from that bureaucratic big code background to totally. come into something that's a little more open. You can actually get your ideas built. Yeah, totally. So how do you onboard new people into that? So we've done Holacracy trainings in the past. To be honest, I'm not sure what our current new higher onboarding process for Holacracy looks like. But when I started, it was kind of a mix of here's the handbook and like the constitution, like read this and then shadow. The constitution? There's a constitution. It's all in line. A medium With the governance. It outlines the process for governance. Okay. Correct. Um, so like a regular four. constitution. Yes. They're on version four right now. 
It's like a living thing that could. We should get like a new one. (laughs) In general, that'd be rad. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) Um, and so we uh, have given like the handbook and kind of done a few holacracy training things, and we have people who've been at the company for a lot like longer and are more versed in it. So I think they do sort of trainings in like in-house and then we have our new hires shadow the different types of meetings and i think you kind of like pick up on it as as you go um but i think we can definitely do more to like i don't know have a more formal type training process and integrate that more because i think the the exposure that i had to it was more of like here like sit in on this meeting um and you kind of get a sense for like how the process works day to day um but not really understanding sort of the larger structure um and so talking to people about it just kind of helps like how do i sort of get this done or like break down the terms and um just using other colleagues as a resource okay so you you worked on this stuff up through Mm 2.0 All the publishing Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. What are you working on now? So now I hold this fancy hand wavy title called Exploration, which is really fun. Exploration Architect? Uh, Yeah. Explorer. um, You're right up there with like Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I just show up for free lunch and they continue to not deactivate my email, which is chill. Um, (laughs) Pretty chill. (laughs) Yeah, pretty chill. Pretty chill. Haven't been kicked out of the GitHub organization yet, so it's good good signs. Um, So my role right now is kind of exploring like tangential product opportunities and thinking about things that medium isn't today but areas that are interesting and related but not quite things that we've built into our core product today and so um are you familiar with uh, steven johnson Mm-mm. he's a really awesome author who wrote this book called where good ideas come from and he talks about kind of the history of innovation and this idea that inventions and like innovations we tend to romanticize as kind of having that light bulb like aha breakthrough moment but really it's kind of this long slog of like old ideas and all this I think he uses the word detritus of like build up and stuff over time that eventually like these ideas continue to like fester and recombine and like split apart and then collide again and then that's how innovation happens it's much more chaotic than people represent exactly it's not totally. focused Right. It's not like you're sitting like staring at a wall and you're like, boom, I've got it. Like E equals MC squared. That's not how like shit happens. That's um, that's the idea guy mentality correct, people come yes. to the Silicon Valley with. <laughs> yeah. Quickly gets dispelled. Uh, quickly gets dispelled. And so he wrote this, this really awesome book. And one of the concepts he talks about is he builds on, uh, I think, Stuart Kaufman's idea of the adjacent possible, um, which is this idea of things that are kind of touching the border of like the present and there are different like sort of first order combinations of things in the present that could like push us towards the next step. Um, but we don't know exactly what they look like yet. And one of the things he says about the adjacent possible is that the more that you explore the boundary, like the more like that boundary gets pushed further and further back, which is kind of cool and interesting. And so I kind of, I think also leads to the idea that I've, I felt recently in kind of the work that I've been doing, which is that I'm like, oh, cool, like newsletters. Let's think about this as an idea. And then you dive into it and you do research and you like think about it and you like learn more about it. And you're like, wow, there's like so much more that I don't know. And it continues that horizon kind of continues to recede. Is there a lot about newsletters that people don't know? Like this is this weird thing to me. I'm all about avoiding newsletters at any cost. Yeah, and, we had this conversation. And people are having these like, people <laughs> so, you, are, for newsletters. Sure. you are not the target audience for newsletters. <laughs> so I, don't I, will get say, it. I will say this. I think that newsletters, at least the way that I talk about them, is more of a representation of things that could be. And so it's not necessarily the email form itself. Although I think there are some things about it that, um, like for me, I like that it's always going to be there uh, no matter, like it's there for me to come back and process like, it whenever I get the time. It's not like I have to 
star something in my Twitter feed and then I'll like probably never come back to it. Um, star, wait, whoa, whoa. star something? Oh, excuse You're me. on old Twitter Excuse now. me. <laughs> excuse me. I'm like two weeks old. Uh, heart. I have to heart something on Twitter because the heart is more versatile or some shit. I don't even know. Um, but I think what newsletters represents of this idea of like a personal medium to communicate with people and the reason I think that people subscribe to newsletters is not that anyone wants more email but they want more like raw thoughts from thinkers that they care about and like people that they admire or people that they're like interested in following their work or things like that. So it's more about having that kind of um, like lens in or glimpse in um, in a way that feels more authentic and real. And I think the newsletter space itself is like interesting because people explicitly opt in to your thing. And so you know that because people have asked for it, and had to confirm twice, like if it's tiny letter or MailChimp, that they're like invested to a certain degree, like they care because they signed up. Um, so you're like, you feel like you have a little more license to be yourself, to be a little weird, uh, be a little more human. Whereas like with Twitter, it's kind of this broadcast thing. Where it you follows feel like, like a casual relationship. Yeah. But a newsletter sign up is it's like, like an intense. You're engaged. Yeah. Yeah. You're like here. You're here. That's why it hurts so much more when someone unsubscribes from your newsletter. <laughs> That's a whole other thing we'll get into. Um but yeah, I mean, I think with Twitter and with other sort of social platforms, it feels like you're and medium to an extent, too. I think this is something we think about is that it feels like you're on this pedestal and you're kind of like broadcasting and it takes a specific type of person who's comfortable with that kind of attention and like, hey, look at me, listen to what I have to say, uh, which isn't always the person with the best ideas or whatever. Um, and I think we've seen this kind of backlash against that publicness and broadcast with like the rise of things like Snapchat or Slack or these more like intimate kind of settings and all the messaging apps. Um, and I think newsletters are one representation of that. Um, I don't think it's email in particular, but what it represents and like, um, at least where I see it kind of going is that's what's interesting to me. What do you think of the resurgence of all these like messaging platforms as a public space? This is such a weird concept to me. Like yeah. these public Slack channels are suddenly just massive. We have like 3000 people in ours. Wow. They fucking go <laughs> ape shit for it. It's yeah. the modern it's reincarnation awesome. of forums, dude. Totally. Forums totally. Like, but it's eight years ago. Forums yeah. were posts. so fun but it was so fun like, they were yeah. so slow though comparatively like forums were a whole different thing <laughs> this is insane to me like people just want to like lurk in a chat it's yeah. amazing it's really interesting um, well, I would I would guess that out of the 3,000 people 2,900 of them just sit there and watch it like, sure sure that's wow. crazy. Yeah. I think also part of it is that the idea with like Slack, for example, is that you have to be like invited to join this team and like participate in it. And there's something to be said for that feeling of like exclusivity or like I'm in the club, even though the club mm -hmm. is like now 3000 people. You're like, oh, I'm still in this thing. We technically um, hacked it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, did we what did we hack? You actually are supposed to manually invite everyone. Oh. But we just hooked up a An form, email sign up form. A form oh, nice, that like nice. does the just post say, request. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, well sorry, I cut no, you no, off. No, 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 it's all right. That's all right. Just um, wanted to make sure we were I, I being spent <laughs> fully transparent. Sure, sure. We clear, did the, not. the first day, I spent like four hours signing people up or like inviting people. And then you're we're like, like, I'm over this shit. Like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anytime you're doing a repetitive task, yeah. write a script. Exactly, exactly. Respect that. And Respect I let that. Brian do it. So nice. I automated that too. <laughs> <laughs> Delegating, sign of any good leader. So Bryn really is the smartest one in the room. <laughs> hmm. Huh. He who does the least work That's is the smartest. What's your favorite newsletter? It's hmm. a hard question. I think a toss up between. It's like my way of cheating your your question. Um, Anne Friedman's weekly newsletter, um, or what's it called? It's called the Anne Friedman Weekly. <laughs> on the nose. subscribe, get on her <laughs> That's level. That's like a cheat code. Like... Yeah, <laughs> um, it's really awesome. She's a freelance writer in LA. Uh, writes for like. 
I think I saw the description somewhere today that was like, she writes for every publication that doesn't suck on the web, uh, which is basically true. And she has a column at NY Mag. It's true. It's a little, little aggro. Um, but she's awesome and has a really she's like a tank. Voice. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't say that about herself. She someone else said that about her. Uh, there's this other newsletter I subscribe to called Today in Tabs, which is like uh, media insidery, like everything that happened on the Internet, kind of terrible, but great newsletter thing. Um, and I think in that they referenced they referenced Anne Friedman. But she's an awesome writer and curates like a list of her work and a combination of links that she's reading. Um, she has this awesome section called Giftspiration that always like brings joy on the Friday afternoon that she sends it. Um, and she just has like a really awesome personality that comes through in, in that. Um, or I would say Jack Chung's newsletter called Sunday which he sends mostly on Sunday, but sometimes Monday morning. But he's a writer who lives in Michigan now, I think. And he's just really thoughtful and kind of sends these like heartfelt kind of intimate missives. And he has like a hand signed like Jack at the end of every letter and like a Sunday like opening letterhead. And I bet he only like, signed you know, it once. It is. It's an image for sure. But it like adds to the feeling and like the atmosphere of the thing. And you know, it's like when people sign things I'm bought in. I'm bought in. When, yeah. when people would like, when CEOs like get signatures. Oh yeah. Stamps, <laughs> yeah. So that feels like yeah. to me. Efficiency. <laughs> Just rubber stamp. Rubber stamp. Yeah. I, I maybe, uh, you can fill me in here. I see newsletters broken down into three kind of categories. Mm-hmm. One is this like curation style, like sure. this, uh, tabs. Today in tabs. Yeah. yeah, yeah Product like, hunty. Uh, is that what you're, yeah, someone kind of is thing? curating mm-hmm. resources and sending it out to people who are interested in that topic, totally. design, mm-hmm. engineering, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second kind is like super personal stories. It's not topical. It's just about that person. I think sure. of like Tobias Van Schneider. Yeah, he just exactly. like, writes stories about his life. I haven't read right. his. And then the third kind in my head is like um, more industry driven, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. someone just writing about VCs or being a sure. media mogul. Yeah. Well, someone who's <laughs> my goal in life. Hopefully, yeah, someone I, that's. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> the second one, I missed the chance. <laughs> But uh, am I missing any? I think that's a good breakdown. Um, I think when people talk about newsletters, there's also like the terrible, which I don't, I don't think we need to spend any time like really discussing, but there's like a whole lump of like promotional marketing type uh, newsletters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm um, not talking about that. Okay, cool. Glad we're on the same page about that. Um, yeah, let's see. Do those even count? What should those be called? Marketing. Old letters? But <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, you're making a newsletter as well. I am. You have one. I do. I do have a newsletter. What? Uh, where do you fall? Where do I fall? I would say mine's kind a of Jew's on the... A, a Jew's letter? A Jew's letter. Oh! Okay. That's See, going in this week's newsletter. You need to hang Jew's out letter. with Bryn more. He true. will... It's true. He will, he will up the game. Mm-mm. So Jacob actually gave me the section title. My newsletter is called Pomplamoose. Um, and he gave me the section title of the end of my newsletter, which is Pompladoos and Pompladonts, which is great. My favorite section. And then I was like, I found a new section. I love Jacob. Jacob's great. I love Jacob too. I would hope so. Non, (laughs) very objective opinion. Um, but I was like, I came up with another like section title for my newsletter. I'm going to have pump la cool and pump la fool. And he was like, what, what goes in that? And I was like, it'll be like, you know, the, you know, basketball MVP player of the week type thing. And then like the shacked and a fool, like the idiot who like forgets that the ball's in play and then goes out of bounds or whatever. Uh, and he was like, how is that not a pompladou and pompladone? And I was like, it's about like the people. And he's like, no, your pompladon this it's week. It's the pompladouers and the pompladonters. Pom- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. Still workshopping that, but I did sneak in the pompla fool pun. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Jews letter though. I got to use that. The pun game's on point. It's true. It's true. But I'm okay. So that, that leads me into you write a ton of stuff. Yes. You write a lot. 
of I d- posts. I do write. <laughs> and they're about all different things. Like you post recipes, you post <laughs> like personal essays, sometimes very personal. You're mm-hmm. publishing this back and forth correspondence with your sister. Uh-huh. How did all of this started just you writing and sharing? And what has that done for you as like, I guess a person? Sure. Um, Let's see. How did it start? Um, yeah, I guess... I hadn't written for written publicly for a very long time. And so, like I said, I studied journalism in school. And my first couple of years, I went to a very pre-professional school. And so there were a lot of campus publications. I did a lot of reporting and writing for them, mostly for the entertainment desk, because I was like, I want to meet cool people. I got to interview Channing Tatum and Amanda Seyfried. What? It was awesome. Who is the coolest? Uh, Channing, Channing Tatum. Tatum, for, Channing sure, Tatum. for sure. He's just a chiller. You know that um, how he talks in, in Step Up and you think he's like trying to embody the role of like the street hip hop dancer. Totally. You're like, that's totally. why he's talking that way. That's just how he talks, um, which is cool. Which is cool. He's great. Is, and he's very the most, tall. is he the most famous person you've ever met? He's tall? He looks short. I'm short though. So I guess my like mm. my my senses is, is a little messed up. Your height meter Yeah. The coolest person <laughs> I've ever met. Hmm. Coolest. Is that what you said? Most famous. Oh, most famous. Um, I mean, it actually, coolest would be even better. <laughs> coolest person I've ever met. Well, you two, obviously. Well, um, <laughs> present company <laughs> excluded. <laughs> Let's see. So most famous, I think, yes. I'm trying to think. Have I met any other famous people? I mean, I think, Ev, Ev is relatively famous. Uh, yeah, I guess but... Ev is famous. Ev hasn't been in like Step Up and Magic Mike, though. So I don't know. Mm. I think he, Channing Tatum. He could be. be. How much more amazing <laughs> would those movies be? <laughs> Just as like Ev backup dancer in Magic Mike. Pure gold. Yeah. Pure gold. Pretty intense be hard to come into work every day and look him in the eye, but that'd be cool. Um, <laughs> coolest person. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't met that many like cool really people. famous people. Oh. Um, well, when I first met Jacob, I was like... Jacob Thorne. Me too. That, that's at fat. Yep. That's at fat. fat. Yeah. That, that's at fat. <laughs> Is that how you introduced him? Uh, no, no. That's what I said to myself in my head. And I was like, hi. Awkward wave. He was away. exactly what I expected him to be like from yeah. the internet. Yeah, it's great. great. Yeah, just authentic. He speaks in all lowercase sentences. It's true. Yeah. yeah. You wrote a blog post about being his girlfriend. I did write a blog post wow. about being his girlfriend. Yes. What was that about? So we went to this conference called, I think, Hack EDU that was held at PayPal um, with his friend Guillermo, who's also a big contributor in the JavaScript open source community. Um, and they were invited to give this talk to, I think it was like college kids uh, in preparation for their hackathon later in the year. And so they did two sessions. One was a kind of walkthrough of some technologies and more of like a traditional session. And then the second was like a Q&A with uh, Guillermo and, and Jacob. And it was all these college kids who were like just enamored by him. And after the talk, they would come college up kids him. are kind of his market right? totally totally <laughs> especially like yeah he's gonna love to hear that yeah <laughs> um but yeah kids who are like learning to program they're using bootstrap you know they like know him uh and his work and they were just like what's your favorite color like what's your favorite font like tell me everything <laughs> about you like i want to know everything and he was just like cool and there's this one kid i mean he was helvetica is pretty chill yeah. helvetica is a chiller i think he Shout said his helvetica. favorite font was century gothic and i was like century gothic like what i think he was he was tripping um but and then i remember one <laughs> literally tripping literally tripping. <laughs> <laughs> no one makes that call sober no, jacob no. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just kind of wrote about my experience of like going with him to this place that he was very famous for and everyone kind of came up to him and knew who he was and 
no one honestly could give like two shits about me and they were just like oh like get out of my way like you're standing in the way of like me and fat do you like know what's happening right now do you know what's at stake um and there's this kid who like came up and like shook his hand and introduced himself to him and he just like lingered you know that handshake linger for like a good yes. 10 seconds yes. after Ooh. i was like all right i see you like you need to take your hand away now I'm standing right here um but yeah i kind of just wrote about how it was like interesting to have that dichotomy um and him being, you know, so famous and me feeling like a little inferior to that, but also knowing that like I was there to support him and that was sort of my role in that time and that he's done the same for me and will do, you know, in the future. Um, and that, you know, he saw me obviously. And like when people kept coming up to him, we were sitting together and they kept introducing himself and he would just give my leg like a little squeeze or the small kind of reassuring signs and like making me feel like I wasn't actually like invisible or that it didn't matter if I was there or not. Um, but it mattered to him. So that was what mattered. Why? Not I'm, uh no, don't mean this in a mean way at all. Sure. But why did you decide to write about that? Like why? And this goes back to like sure, your sure. writing. Totally. Some of it's really personal and mm-hmm. like very uh, inside your head. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a concern around, especially like kind of. I mean, as far as couples in tech or whatever go, you guys are fairly high profile and like. High there's this whole profile. there's this whole thing of well, you're both media moguls, so. Uh, <laughs> But there's this whole thing, especially around women identifying themselves via their significant other. Totally. Yeah. So So I think I think part of that definitely plays into it. Like being with someone who's really awesome, very well known, like has a good body of work and like pretty an fat. awesome career. Yeah, pretty <laughs> fat. Has P-H-A-T. a good body. Has yeah, a good body. Yeah, good body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all those things that are important. Yeah, and kind of that with balancing that as sort of someone who's relatively new to the industry and trying to like sort of make a space for myself and like figure out what it is that, you know, I want to like contribute or um, impact and not, I guess, sort of grappling between those two things. And then also the other point around sort of more the per- the more personal aspect of it. I feel like something that I continue to struggle with is this idea of not feeling like good enough um, and always comparing myself to others and, you know, the whole like whatever imposter syndrome story that keeps, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, but it's something that I feel pretty acutely and so kind of just I wanted to publish that in particular because I like to think of myself as like a fiercely independent you know Sasha fierce wave your hand like (laughs) Beyonce like single ladies um woman um but you know I am in a relationship and I'm accountable to someone else and sort of just trying to explore like what it means to you can support someone without like not being your own independent person you know and sort of trying to like say that in a way that felt meaningful and I felt the story kind of encapsulated that um, and just wanting to share that um, because it was partly for for myself just to kind of write through and like process that that thinking um, but also you know if it helps someone else who's like in a similar type situation or just the more that like I think people talk and share their experiences um, helps helps someone and if it helps someone think about something in a different way or um, think about like that that they can relate to. Um, I don't know. I think that's meaningful. And I've had stories that I've read or people who shared like, you know, their personal things that have really struck a chord with me. Um, and it's been really helpful. So do you feel like more people should be more personal on online? Yes. And no, I mean, I think that I, I'm definitely all for being, being more personal. I think it's hard with the current kind of climate of the internet and people. Authenticity is dangerous. Authenticity is really dangerous and really, really hard. And I don't think that everyone should be expected to do it, but for those who feel like they can, um, or feel like they're in a position to do so, 
uh, I think it's really important. Like people who leverage sort of their positions of power or privilege to like say something about a larger issue that other people who might not have those same privileges or benefits enjoy um, to really either start a dialogue or just let other people know that like, hey, this is a thing that, you know, other people have gone through and like you're not alone. I think that that counts for a lot. Um, But yeah, being authentic and being like really vulnerable on the internet is like really hard, especially for a woman. It's really hard. Um, I've been really lucky that I haven't had to deal with like a fraction of what, you know, other um, women or people of color have had to deal with in terms of harassment or abuse. But I think it's a, a really scary space, but if we can make it more of a safe space for people to do that, I think it can be really, really powerful. If I'm distilling that down, do you feel a responsibility to do it or is it actually just you personally? I think it's more the latter, more me personally. Um, But this idea of kind of privilege is something that I've been thinking a lot about. And it's just so like in your face living and working in San Francisco at a really uh, nice startup um, and just thinking about... It's medium at best. (laughs) You're right. Average. Average. Um, And how, I don't know, like that being something that I care a lot about and um, how to help or use that in a way that's like good. Like I feel really lucky to have like gotten out here and like had the opportunity to work at Ev's company or meet people like you or, you know, even Jacob, like it all happened. Even Jacob. (laughs) Not even Jacob, especially Jacob. Um, no, I meant, I meant more in terms of like a professional versus like, um, personal kind of type way. Um, but yeah, the opportunity and like just the luck to kind of be out here and be surrounded by like um, all the awesome stuff that's happening isn't something that everyone has the privilege to do. Like not a lot of people can afford to live in the city. Um, and so if I like if I have access to these things, like, I don't know, using them only for myself or continuing to further my self-interest. Um, With great power comes re- great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Is that Roosevelt? Peter Parker, that shit. Abraham. Oh, that's Spider-Man. Thank you. You're welcome. Didn't he quote that from FDR? No, he quoted it from Uncle Ben. You're welcome. Did Uncle Ben get it from FDR? <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask him. Okay, oh, we'll ask him. he's oh. dead. That's hurtful. Sad. Aunt May may know. <laughs> Ring her up. Yeah. Do you have? There's a new Spider-Man series out, and it's great. Anyway, do you have advice for people dealing with imposter syndrome? Let's see. Um, I would say two things. So one. I think there's a part of it that's good. And so embrace the part that makes you feel like you need to work harder and continue to be the best version of yourself and continue to push and do better. Cause that's how you're fuel. Yeah, exactly. And that's how you're going to like get better. And I just read, um, Shonda Rhimes's new book called the year of yes. And she talks about how, uh, she, was sort of like this nerdy kid who grew up just kind of in her own imagination. And now she gets to invent these worlds for a living. And that's her job. She's the um, creator of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder. Um, And she just talked about how she just worked like 10 times harder than everyone else. And on Scandal, if for watchers of the show out there, there's this one amazing scene where Olivia Pope and her like crazy batshit dad have this like really, really real conversation. There's a lot of scenes like that. There's a lot of scenes like that. But this is so this is what I'm talking about where like Rowan Pope, who's her dad, who's like this crazy like. I just call her dad Pope. Yeah, dad Pope. Um, Rowan Pope. Uh he is like yelling at Olivia and she's like, why are you always so hard on me? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, because you have to work 10 times as hard to get half of what they have. They meaning like white people. And it's just this very intense, like friction filled scene. And that kind of Shonda quotes it in her book again. And she kind of embodies um, 
that and sort of being, she calls herself a first other different, first only different. Um, and she hates being asked, like, what's it like to be the first, like, black woman to you know have all these awesome shows or like own a night on tv and um just talking about how she's really had to work hard for where she's gotten to and parts of her believing that she wasn't going to be good enough and that kind of being like a motivation to like help get her to where she is today so that's thing one is like embrace like some part of it and then the other part is kind of like take a step back and try to think about yourself as like not yourself and just say I guess they're more like affirmation type things. So I started this thing called the five minute journal, which is basically like uh, a glorious gratitude journal type thing. I've become very self-helpy this year, which is like very, very odd because I've been like totally against it. But Shonda wrote this book. All the medium people I know have very like Zen (laughs) outlooks on this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're the product of your surroundings, right? In Hawaii, Dustin tried to convince me to start meditating. Oh, yeah. I heard that was a big thing there. It is a big part of our culture. Um, I'm not... I haven't been as good about about going to our our office meditation, but um, I went to this, uh, what was it? A designer fund event uh, called Women in Design and they talked about creative confidence and the sort of like- Ah, uh, Maria. Yes, yes. Yep. And the swag bag takeaway was this like five minute journal. And so I read through it and it was kind of like a little sappy, like self-helpy, but I was like, whatever, I'll like, give this thing a try. Are you guys familiar with it or? Mm. We know Maria Molfino. That's oh, okay. about it. Not I, the five minute journal? No. So the idea is that you spend a couple minutes in the morning, first thing when you wake up and you write down- um, what are three things that I'm grateful for today? And then what are two, th- uh, two things that would make today awesome? And then you have a section for what they call daily affirmations. And so these are things that you like recognize about yourself or that are important to you. And you write things that help you sort of reaffirm like what you know to objectively be true, which I think has helped a little bit with this like imposter syndrome type thing. So uh, to get real personal on you, like the things that I write in mine are always like, I am like, fit and thin like or i am like hard working and like driven or things like that your workout shirts that you tweet about are amazing (laughs) thank you thank you they're all mulan so i really can't take any credit but it's fantastic it's true it's true (laughs) um there's one that's uh time to get down to business to defeat the buns (laughs) it's awesome lovely it's great Um, you and bryn pun game yeah pun game pun game strong pun game Bun game. <laughs> <Bun> game. <laughs> yeah. All right. You mentioned that you felt really grateful to be out here mm-hmm. and that it was a, a place that enabled you a little bit more. Uh, where did you come from? What, what got you into this industry? Sure. Um, it was journalism and interactive storytelling and building news applications and sort of building the technical side of, of that skill set. That sounds like here already what what started that it? was in chicago uh so i went to school uh in a little town north of chicago called evanston um and i applied to journalism school because i thought i wanted to be a lawyer before i went to college uh I huge went mistake to, lawyers I, are the worst i know but i watched fam- a lot of csi my whole family's lawyers my they're, dad's they're a lawyer terrible. my dad's a lawyer he was like mildly interested in me becoming a lawyer but not not super interested. mild lukewarm yeah lukewarm mm. lukewarm at best he wanted me to go to business school uh, is what he really wanted um but whatever i'm here now um but so i went to college and you can study whatever you want before going to law school so i was like oh journalism sounds chill like i like writing um i'll do that uh, no and- one in the world has ever said journalism sounds chill <laughs> it sounded really it, it sounded really appealing to me i mean i'd read like about woodward and bernstein and sort of all the like feel goody type um stories of journalism the least really, chill people yeah. ever <laughs> but i just bought into the idea that it was like this institution and the service that you 
played like a larger role in like society for like, you know, sense of like civic duty, but without having to like be a police person and like get shot at or like fuck up in a terrible way or whatever. Um, and so journalism sounded interesting to me and I had always been more of a humanities person, like interested in history and writing and English. Um, but journalism was like, Oh, there's like actually a profession around that. If I study English, which both my parents did and they were like, don't study English. I was like, okay. But journalism was like, like, next best thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I went to journalism school and then kind of fell into the interactive storytelling and kind of building news applications and some of the technical stuff from there. Um, and yeah. And then just got got a job out here and then then moved to to San Francisco. Is your family in Chicago? No, so my parents live in Shanghai in China and my sister lives in Chicago. She goes to school in Northwestern too. Okay. Um but as for where I'm from, guess which state I was born in? Michigan. Close, close. Oh, okay. Well, Bryn went first and got me closer. I'm going to say This is a really hard question with no context. Yeah. <laughs> Minnesota. Really close. Not oh, sorry. Shit. I pointed at you oh. like you got it. I was born in North Dakota. I was born uh, in I'm Grand Forks. Oh, oh, Grand we had, Forks? Yeah, yeah. We had this yeah. conversation. Um, I was born in Grand Forks. We lived in Fargo. And I forgot where I was going with the story. Oh, where I'm from. So I was born in North Dakota. And then we moved to like Southern Illinois. Uh, but we moved around a lot for my dad's job. So we lived in like Switzerland for a year and then Singapore. And then I went to high school in Beijing and then came back to um, Chicago for school. And so... Um, yeah, my parents are still still in China. Why Why did you want to come to San Francisco then? Was it for Medium or was, was Medium for, a product it, of coming here? It's no, it was for the San was, Francisco Chronicle because journalism. Because <laughs> journalism. Because um, journalism. It was for Medium. So I'd actually, I'd actually signed an offer with Twitter in like December before I moved out here. So I moved here October 2013. I signed an offer with Twitter December of 2012. I was like, Twitter is a product I use every day. Like, I love it. And I really, to like my earlier point, I wanted to work in a technical setting to sort of build up those skills. And I was like, oh, like I can do, you know, engineering at Twitter, like learn some stuff and then maybe find my way back to like media or journalism or something else. Uh, And then... Medium's then CTO had reached out to me and was kind of like, oh, you know, we're interested in hiring like new grads. And Medium was a thing that like I was obviously very interested in, but um, was in like my bookmarks under like to apply for like someday, like later in the future. Um, and so I came out here for a visit um, for Twitter and then chatted with some people from Medium and kind of got like sneak attack recruited. And it was like this very weird time because up until that point in my life, I feel like everything that I applied for or tried to get into was like me being like, hey, please, please take me like colleges, like, please, please accept me. Like, here are my SAT scores. Here's all the stuff. Jobs, like, please accept me. And it was the first look, time. I worked my ass off. Exactly. I'm, like, I'm, look, I'm, I, I, I can do it. I don't it. suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, please, please believe in me. Give me a shot. Uh, and then it was the first time in my life that was like, oh, we want you. And like to be recruited was just this like really fucking weird thing. And that was the first time I met Jacob. And I was also just like starstruck from having met like Ev and Jacob. And then we like meditated together. And it was a very surreal experience. While you were being recruited? Uh, It was like after. I mean, it was all sort of like the buildup. But I mean, long story short, I ended up not going to work at Twitter. I came to Medium. You're a quitter at Twitter. (sighs) Twitter, Twitter. Pew, pew, like on the, on the pun. Pew, pew, that's my name. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so I moved out here for, for this job. Well, it was going to be a job. job. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I have a question. Sure. What do product managers even do? It's a good question. It's a good question. Um, 
we sit around a lot and like make the typey typey noises at our computer. You have mechanical keyboards. Yeah. So you can- <laughs> yeah. Just to like project the sound of the keyboard typing. Um, and that just carries We have through. to appear you like, to all <laughs> like <yeah>. megaphones <laughs> yeah. to like amplify it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the photo of the dog at the computer. Like, what am I even doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. Basically that. Um, So product management, I feel like, is really more of a support role. Like, it when you're doing your best work, it's like you're enabling other people to, like, be really productive and helping them do their best work. And so I guess for me, like, a lot of what I've found that I've done in, in sort of my so far in product management has been like working with a team to help sort of think about like high level problems and come to like a solution or like a first step to kind of address that. Um, Making sure that we capture like the relevant things at like given points in time in the execution of a project, Um, helping like push a project forward. I mean, luckily everyone that I've worked with has been like really, really awesome. And so there's much less need for the like, Hey, like, where are we kind of status checking stereotype that I think gets really associated with, with product management. I feel like there's a difference between product management and project management. And I think project management is much more of the like scheduling, like Kanban, like burn down charts. Yeah, exactly. And that's like all fine and good. I'm like a minimum viable project management type product manager. Ooh, that was in 10 cents. That, <laughs> that was a lot Ooh. of. It was a lot of jargon. jargon. I apologize. I should drink for that. Um, but. I mean, I think product involves sort of thinking about like the problem opportunities and presenting those as like problems to your team and working together to come to solutions. I don't think it works very well when you're like, here's like the grand plan for like everything that we're going to do. Um, I think it's better when you kind of set like, here's like a guiding sort of North Star. Here's maybe some like big rocks along the way that like help guide a path and then course correcting as the team like continue to execute and like build on that. Um, and so it's really about just kind of like supporting. And then once the project gets underway, like unblocking people, um, helping to foresee things that um, when you're like heads down building something that you don't necessarily see. So a big thing for um, us or for one project that I worked on was like for like thinking forward to some of like the legal stuff. So with the API, like licensing and getting like our terms of service for the API and like thinking about like that when it came launch day, um, cause that wasn't anything that the people who were like building the guts of like the API were, were worrying about. And so just kind of making sure that all the pieces are there and like keeping things moving. Um, and you know, the loud, loud typey typey. The loud typey typey. <laughs> so two questions. Yeah. First, term. first, we'll inform the second, but what okay. is the worst thing that designers do that makes your life difficult? What is the worst thing that designers do? Century Gothic. <laughs> Comic Sans. Comic Sans. Um, Put you your know, logo in forced perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to be honest, I have worked with really awesome designers and two of the projects. So the API wasn't didn't have like a staff design resource. Not design so, sensitive. Um, it wasn't super design sensitive. So we kind of just were like, oh, we'll like reuse these components. I was like, YOLO, here's the dialogue. It looks fine. Like, let's go. Um so can I answer, can I counter that with like the best thing that a designer has done? It was part two. Okay. Of the well, you okay. can't entirely dodge the question, but yes. <laughs> Just brief. Yeah. The best thing. So I'll, the best thing. I'll give you this. The best thing is like giving the right level of fidelity of designs at the right time. So like uh, this designer I worked with, Pablo, who's amazing on the newsletters project that Last we name? launched. Uh, Pablo Caro. Cool. Um, 
But we were working on this newsletter project. And at the very beginning of the project, when it was kind of like brainstorming, thinking about like the what if kind of landscape of the product that we wanted to build, um, he did a really good job of high level conceptual kind of wireframes. Uh, when we talked about kind of the flow of sending a newsletter and thinking about sort of the details of a subscription opt-in or opt-out um, and the user experience of that and not necessarily the presentation of like a newsletter. Um, he gave a really awesome sort of like flow chart of like, oh, here's like possible ways that we can think about like when you subscribe, like what happens or like when you opt out or should we opt people in when they follow or all these kinds of like considerations um, and just like being a step ahead, like every step of the way basically and having some visual representation of where we were in the project at that point in time. And then when it was like, okay now we just need to like build and I guess newsletters a lot of it is just the content that people create so there wasn't a lot of heavy visual design in that but it was the interface around it which we used some re like existing components and stuff but he had like you know pixel perfect kind of mocks and had like uh, you need to have this 21 pixels away from like the gutter and all this stuff 21 pixels that is not what? an 8 pixel grid what is wrong with How this person Pablo he? let's talk <laughs> I'm making this up. I'm making this up. But um, I mean, the 21 pixels. Thing, you meant but, 24. It's good. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. Excuse me. Bad memory. Bad memory. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, having that sort of like support and like helping to think and push the product thinking forward um, and having the right level of fidelity uh, in the exploration, more brainstorming phase versus like heads down execution uh, was awesome. And he's like, yeah, just killed it. So then the opposite of that, the worst thing someone can do <laughs> is going too high fidelity, too early in the process, yeah, getting too so. caught up in the visuals without mm -hmm. understanding what the thing no is. No designer ever does that. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think if we're talking about like um, still kind of what the goals of the project are or... Well, I think that's kind of also to the earlier question of where like the product manager job comes in is like helping to define not only like the problem and like a potential solution or like path forward, but also like what jobs is this helping the user um, do or do better um, and being like a user advocate. And so a full understanding of kind of like user needs and thinking through that up front, if you if we're still sort of like debating, like what's the most important thing to prioritize or optimize for in like the beginning um, then coming with like, oh, we need to have this new icon or like this, you know, whatever. Design. All the mediums. Like, yeah, all the all the mediums. The nitty gritty is like doesn't come that that early in the process, um, which I've never experienced firsthand. But in hypothetical world where I'm working with bad designers, um, I would imagine that's something that you're I think just I saying that because they're listening, right? <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. They're really great. It's pretty aggro. It's like Justin Cena's level aggro. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. All right. So we're actually out of time. Um, anything you'd like to plug before you go? Any KD do's? KD do's. KD do's. Oh, light some fucking candles. Like up your feng shui game. I bought this candle last weekend. Um, we went to this uh, Greek place in the hate. What was it? Palmyra, I think is what it was called. And then we were like, oh, let's take a walk after dinner Saturday night. And we stumbled across this like lower hate holiday art walk. This is really cool. This like, is the most hipster like plant paragraph stuff. I've yeah. ever heard. <laughs> this is the problem with living in San Francisco. I didn't even get to talk about how much I hate San Francisco. We'll save that for another time. Um, but we stumbled across this like really cute uh, sort of gift plant store type thing. And they had this gift real plant store. Well, the four square icon for it was like a plant. So it was like a plant store. Um, but it was like, that's a, how you define it like stores. A, it was like a gift the shop. Plant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they sold a lot of plants. They had, um, 
yeah, succulents and, and all, all types of things. Um, but they also had candles. And there was this one called pink mimosa that they had lit as a way to entice people in, which worked. Mimosas um, are orange. This one was called pink, pink mimosa. And it was delicious and smelled so good. You wanted, ate it. I wanted to eat the candle. <laughs> I ate wax. Um, yeah, I did. That's why I'm acting all like weird today. It's probably some, some after effects. Um, You're but pretty wax. Anyways, I got this candle and uh, I lit it. And now my life is like 100 times better. So light some candles so plugging candles so plugging candles shout out candles not plug in candles no 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 plug no in. no who the fuck invented plug in candle oh my god it's just so tacky it's not a candle no plug you know you know what i'm talking about or the like electric candles that like are made to look like they're flickering but it's really just like a fucking light bulb and, and it's you're in the like, middle of your table at the restaurant yes. and you're like what the fuck is this yeah no not that this is not um, this i thought this was ambiance. the kind of place without laminated yeah. menus <laughs> Yeah, their logos and comic stands. You're like, well, I asked for it. Um, Do you think there's a really nice restaurant somewhere that has their logo and comic stands? Like, really nice. So I nice. feel like the restaurant. Can I start a, a restaurant that just has comic stands as a logo and it's like called Comic Sands? Dude, do it and make really fucking good food. That'd be yeah, awesome. Do it. Just That's the thing. Obscenely good. As ugly as it is, that good. <laughs> yeah, I found places with bad design are either like really fucking terrible or like out of this world amazing there's like no in between they're just like we don't have time for this we're doing really awesome yeah, shit in the kitchen exactly exactly it's usually like uh burrito places in the mission totally menus look like shit yeah food is the food is bomb, the bomb. it's yeah. kind of terrible though at the same time it's like the comic sans it works but shit it's made of like terribleness <laughs> but it tastes so so it tastes good, so good. <laughs> it tastes so good um I guess the only other thing I would plug is if you're into newsletters and like weird personal shit and like links and too lengthy emails and like weirdly hand-drawn section titles, uh, subscribe to Pomplamoose. It's tinyletter.com slash KT. And on Twitter, you are? KTJU, Z-H-U. K-T-Z-H-U. It's Jew, like a Jewish Jew. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people need need some direction. I've gotten a lot of different pronunciations. I've been pronouncing it zoo for a while, so. It's true. It's true. It's okay. It's a common mistake. Well, thank you for coming on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for taking the time. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. That was episode 88. Thank you to Katie for taking time out of her schedule to come hang out with us. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, let us know on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM or join our Slack team, spec.fm slash Slack. And if you need more stuff to listen to to get better as a designer or developer, check out the other podcasts on the Spec Network. That's at spec.fm. Five shows in the network. More coming soon. Stay posted. Until then, we wanted to thank our two sponsors that made this episode possible. Huge thanks to Icon Finder, the largest source of premium icons on the web. Over 700,000 icons are in their library. It's basically guaranteed that you're going to find the perfect icon for whatever you're building. To get started, go to iconfinder.com sign up for Icon Finder Pro and use the promo code design details. That's going to tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month. Huge thanks to Icon Finder for sponsoring the show. Our second sponsor, as always, is Dropbox. Dropbox lets you work the way you want and they just handle all the backend syncing, sharing, all that stuff so you can work on any file with any device from wherever you are and with anyone you choose. So then you can just build more cool stuff. You can check it out and get started at dropbox.com. Thanks once again to Dropbox. We'll see you on Wednesday with Justin Perforce.
Wait, do you want to hear a terrible joke? Yes. Why can you not hear a pterodactyl going to the bathroom? Because the pee is the silent. Pee is, because the pee is silent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. I was almost there. Very proud of you. Very proud of you. If you ain't first, you're last. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> uh, what did the grape say when the elephant sat on it? Nothing, but it let out a small whine. That's an old ass grape. <laughs> ass grape. Ass grape. <laughs> uh, okay. What? Sorry, we digress. Elephant sitting on a grape. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Wow. Damn. I was ahead of Brynn on that yeah. one. Holy On my shit. own <laughs> statement. Yeah. 